Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on the Gov, we talk about all things relating to golf performance, so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. We are talking the hip, right? Most of today we're going to talk about anatomy, biomechanics, uh, stuff that most of you probably don't don't care as much about. But the reason why I got to start with that is it sets the basis of everything else uh, that we're going to talk about this week with mobility and strengthening and power and speed development and all, all that stuff, right? So uh, we'll, we'll talk about why the hip moves the way it does. We'll talk about, uh, you know, what we have to kind of target and focus on in order to improve the hip and mobility or strength or whatever it may be because every joint is different every joint functions differently every joint has different muscles and so we have to treat each joint independently and and target the right things uh, according to what it is that we want that hip to be able to do so in the golf swing we want it to be nice and stable we want it to be able to produce a lot of power laterally right so that is what we want from the hip and from a golf standpoint. Again, if you guys have questions, comment below. Uh, if you're watching this live, comment live. If you're watching replay, comment replay. That way I know you guys are watching, know who's catching this, right? Whether you guys find it helpful, let me know. We can figure that out. So, but questions, I'll answer, I'll answer them as I go if I, if I catch them, all right? They should pop up on my side here. So, all right. First off, the hip, we talk about it being a ball and socket. Okay, we have the leg bone, it comes up and it does a little dive in and it creates, uh, there's a socket there for it. And that allows a lot of the movements that we are familiar with from the hip. Okay, the hip has a forward motion, it has a back motion, it has outside and an inside motion, right? It's got a rotating in and out. So it has all these motions. We combine those motions, we get a nice little circle. So in some ways, similar to the shoulder, when we talk a ball and socket joint, allows for a lot of degrees of motion, a lot of different ranges, different uh, ways that you can move it. A uh, big difference between the shoulder and the hip, though, is that the hip is has a bony socket, whereas the shoulder doesn't have the bony socket. So it is constrained by bone on bone. So the hip bone or the, the leg bone into the hip socket will butt up against that socket, limiting some movement. And each person is going to be different depending on the angle at which the leg bone bends in and faces forward or back into that socket. And that can have a lot to do with your genetics. So they've found that different, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, nationalities have different different anatomy, slightly different changes, right? Each person has is slightly different according to maybe how they developed as well. So during your childhood, depending on how you moved or whatnot can influence how the hip might uh, end up being structured because 
when we're born, there's no socket for that hip. We kind of grind it in there as you start to learn to crawl and walk, right? So that is a developed thing after birth, okay? So depending on, on circumstances, you we find that uh, different people have different depths of that socket and how deep it is as well. So these are all factors that kind of have to be taken into effect for for somebody's ability to rotate or whatnot, right? So in the golf swing, we always want to talk about rotation is really the, the main core. Uh, there's three main rotary centers within within our bodies. Now, when we think of the golf swing, right? And then we got the shoulder, we got the mid back or the upper back, and then we got the hips. All of them, we expect them to be able to, to rotate in order to produce the swing that we're looking for, right? Um, you look at some of the, the swings that everybody idolizes, and they all have really good mobility in all three of those segments in the shoulders, the, the back, the, particularly the upper mid or back, middle back and the hips, right? Uh, Adam Scott, for example, is one of them that everybody always idolizes that swing and he has amazing mobility in all those. Okay. So, but like I said, the development of that hip, how it's been, how it's structurally formed and how it is made up can affect your ability to uh, increase that range of motion. Somebody that is getting impact, uh, let's do that way, there we go. So somebody that's bumping that bone into bone is going to have a difficult time increasing their range of motion because you're you're hitting bone against bone. It's, it's not going to get you very far. It's like hitting your head against a brick wall, okay? You're not gonna get very far with that, all right? So we can't expect some people to actually improve range of motion or not there. Okay. I will say if you've been something you've been working on and trying to get that rotation, that is a possibility. Okay. There is a possibility that it may not be just your body type and it may not be able to get better. Right. Then there's a lot more information. I don't want to get too deep into that because probably not what most of you want, um, are interested in, you know, the, the anatomy people, the, uh, physical therapists, those, those people probably geek out on this, but, um, <clears throat> how that hip structure affects your ability, how you move. It affects your squatting, it affects your hip hinge, it affects how that hip can, can rotate and how it can uh, go in the different positions that we talked about a minute ago. And that's what I wanna get into a little bit more there. But we have that ball and socket. So with the ball and socket, we have muscles on all sides that help do the different, different movements that we talked about. So we've got the forward motion, which we call flexion, and you got the backward motion, which we call extension, okay? The hip flexors. So with the hip flexors, we hear that a lot. People talk about tight hip flexors. Okay, one of the big things that we, we hear a lot about with tight hip flexors is a lower cross syndrome. So a, a doctor, a medical doctor uh, by the name of Yanda, J-A-N-D-A, he, uh, I believe his first name was Vladimir, if I remember correctly, but he coined this term, lower cross syndrome, basically meaning that you, there is a crossing pattern in our lower body. So there is a crossing pattern of having weakness on, on this diagonal and tightness on this diagonal, okay? So in this instance, we're talking about tight hip flexors and tight um, erector spinae or back muscles, okay? So that's that cross there. And then the other cross of weakness is weak abs and weak glute, all right? So we have that cross and <clears throat> the tight hip flexors oftentimes come from our constant position of sitting. Think about how much sitting we do in a day. For most of us, 
you know, that work a, a typical nine to five, uh, sit at a desk. Okay, those that's very common to be in a sitting position. You know, we wake up, we have breakfast sitting at a table, we sit in our car to get to work. Maybe not so much nowadays. Most of us are at home, so you have a walk to work. But um, <clears throat> then we sit at, at our desk doing our work. Okay, and then we drive home again, and then we sit while we watch TV or something like that in the evenings. So we do a lot of sitting in life, and so that that has a pretty puts us in a predisposed position of where our hips are at this angled position. And so your hip flexor is going to have that tendency to get tight because if you're not getting it into a position of stretch, then it has, it begins to lose it. Basically it's kind of one of those uh, use it or lose it situations. All right. But not all instances is that hip flexor necessarily tight. If it's something that you've been stretching for an extended period of time and it doesn't seem to get better, sometimes it's a strength issue. Right. Not always is a, a tight muscle purely just tight muscle. A lot of times there's a strength component to it, because one of the things that we see is if a muscle is not able to control what it's job meant to do, it wants to tighten up in order to minimize movement in there because it's not strong enough to control that position. The body wants control of these positions because it doesn't want to have further injury. Right. So if it's something you've been trying to stretch out for, for a while and you haven't found a good way of getting it stretched, maybe it's not necessarily a stretching uh, problem, okay? We are going to talk more about mobility and stuff like that at another time. I don't think I'm going to get into it today unless we fly through some of this information. But um, it, I'm thinking it's going to be tomorrow when we get to that. But we're going to play this all by ear, see how it goes. I've got all my information that I want right here. But all right, so... <sighs> That prolonged position of sitting can lead to that tightness or that weakness can lead to that tightness, right? So we have a couple different possibilities for why our hips might be tight, all right? Next thing, we talked about the leg going back or into extension. So we talk about the glutes, okay? The gluteals are what they call, the glutes are the king of this golf swing, all right? because those are what generate majority of the power. They're the main extenders of the hip, all right? They're the main ones that bring that leg back there, which means they are the ones that allow us to push off of the ground, all right? To get that power into our swing so that we're hitting, make, making a faster club head speed and getting better impact, uh, faster impact, at, at, or sorry, a faster club head speed at impact. So, uh, talking a lot about that lower cross syndrome again right we mentioned that abs and the glute would be weak okay a lot of times that is because of the what we talked about with the reverse if one side is tight the other side has to shut off a little bit in order to allow that position because if think about if you're trying to lift up your coffee cup or you're trying to lift up any weight in, in one hand if you do not shut off your triceps it's going to keep that arm straightened out. It's not going to allow that bend. So you need it to calm down here or needs to relax some there and your bicep has to kick in in order to be able to lift that up. If you don't have that, you're not going to go anywhere. Okay. So there is a reciprocal pattern to how we move. All right. So if one side is going to be tightened, it means the other side is going to be loose and usually indicating a weakness. Okay. So, 
those two kind of come go into or come in combinations, right? So if we get uh, tight hip flexors, whether that's from being in a tightened position all the time or whether it's from uh, not being strong, that is going to shut down our glutes a little bit and make them weak as well because they have to relax in order for the hip flexors to be in those positions, all right? You have to have a relaxation on one side in order to have the other side uh, contract or tighten up. So we see those two in combination and that's where that lower cross kind of comes in and that's why it's so common that you see, okay, tight hip flexors, weak glutes, all right? So we have to kind of work those two in combination. So a lot of times with, with golfers and people that I, I, I treat, when I see that there's a problem on one side, I'm always targeting the other. I'm always tar targeting vice versa. So when, like I said, stretching out the front side and strengthening up the hip flexors. Both of those uh, are, are ways to do it. And then you're wanting to strengthen up the backside, all right, as well in the process. So that is giving that reciprocal. So you can use that in the reverse. So if you're strengthening up the glutes, it's also going to help maybe loosen up the front of the hip, right? Loosen up those hip flexors. Okay, so something that you have to consider because of this biomechanical situation that we, we find ourselves in, all right? That reciprocal inhibition or that reciprocal uh, pattern that we have, all right? So if we want the front hip flexors to loosen up and we want the glutes to be stronger, we have to target both of them at the same time. All right, moving on. So we talked about the leg going out and going in. Okay, big thing with going out, which is called abduction, all right? Anytime it's going away from, from the, the center of the body, the midline of the body, that is abduction, okay? Those muscles, again, those are a lot of some of the other glute muscles, some of the smaller glute muscles, not the big gluteus maximus that we were just talking about, typically, when we're talking about extension or that taking that leg back. So it's glute med and glute min, or medius and minimus, okay? Those are our balance muscles, Okay, that is where a lot of our stability comes from. If you're to stand on one leg, you'll feel working in the ankle, and you'll also feel it working in the hip. Okay, so those are our balance muscles. Those are what we use to respond to any kind of balance challenge. All right, when if you're walking across, my kids love to walk along the uh, little curb, right, uh, or like the little parking lot. What on speed bumps? I don't know what you call those things. Parking bumpers thing uh, in parking lots, and they love to walk along those things. All right, if you do that, you're challenging that balance. You're challenging your your ankle stability and your hip stability because those are our main two uh, responders when we're when we're challenged with balance. Okay, so why is that important in the golf swing? Because we have to essentially. You hear about it a lot of times in a lot of the instructional stuff on, on Golf Channel or wherever, uh, and you'll hear about that, that transfer from one side to the other side, okay? So we're essentially balancing on the one side and exploding off that side, and then we have to end up balancing on the opposite side, right? So we, we need a, an amount of balance in there. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go out and put ourselves in crazy unstable positions, like standing on a ball or standing on a BOSU, okay? You can you can play with with challenging that balance uh, in in different positions. Okay, that is going to be more correlation to what we need in golf than putting yourself on a squishy surface or a uh, half ball or a ball or whatnot like that. Okay, because 
when you put yourself on a unstable surface, you take away your ability to generate power. So in the golf swing, we want to be feel that stability so that we can generate as much power as possible. All right. And so that, that is where if you're wanting to make a more powerful movement and improve your balance, it's better to perform a powerful movement while standing in different positions with your feet rather than trying to get yourself on an unstable surface. Okay. You can try different one foot up on a, on a step or, or feet just at staggered one forward, one back challenging your balance that way, trying it maybe even on, on one leg while doing a, a, a movement there. But most of the time, if we're doing a good training program where you're including, you know, hip hinges and especially single leg exercises, you're going to get a lot of balance work there. And that's usually sufficient in my opinion. All right. So then we get into the adductors, um, which is on the inside of the hip, the th inside of the thigh there. Okay. Those are the legs that bring, are that, that's, those are the muscles that bring the leg back in towards the underneath us. All right. Big thing with these muscles, usually most people don't, don't train them a whole lot, but they can help with uh, straightening out the leg in certain positions. So like in squatting. So I, I hear a lot of strength coaches. I first was introduced to this when I was doing a rotation down at Fort Bragg, working, working with the special forces. And I worked with a strength coach down there and he would call it an adductor seat. Okay, so basically the tightness in the adductors wouldn't allow the hips to sink below the knees anymore. And so that created like this seat. All right. And that so that can limit your ability to squat. All right. So if that is <clears throat> if you have a hard time getting good depth on your squat, that's something that may be affecting your ability to train. All right. Because of the, that tension in there. All right. And there could be that factor of what we talked about with the hip flexors and the and the hip extensors or the glutes and the hip flexors uh, with that reciprocal inhibition. If one side is weak, then the other side is going to tighten up and whatnot. So we might have to consider having training both sides again on this aspect. All right, there's not a cool name for for that on on this one, like lower cross syndrome for for what we were talked about with the hip flexors and glutes. But there is a potential for that. So. Again, we're getting into more about how can we mobilize that those muscles? How can we stretch them out to get them moving a little bit better uh, in order to allow us to train through a full range of motion and not be limited by by the tension in that muscle that's creating that maybe that um, that adductor seat. Okay, like I said, the reason why it comes in effect there is because in certain positions when your hips are are bent. So if we're in that kind of squatted position. Uh, these are, this is the feet, the thigh, this is my trunk. Okay. When you're in that position, it can help straighten you out again. Okay. The adductors can, can perform that particularly adductor magnus, but, um, <clears throat> it can act like that, like just like a hamstring can as well. All right. So we talked about forward and back. We talked about in and out. Okay. Next we're getting into the rotations. Okay. We have rotation externally which is going away from the body, and we have rotation internally, which is going in toward the body. It gets confusing with the hip because it's at this position of going up and then it turns in, and so an internal rotation is going to be like that, and that's going to turn, if your leg is straight, turn your foot in. All right, makes sense. You turn the leg out, that's external rotation. Makes sense. All right, you start bending the knee, it seems almost counterintuitive because you bend the knee, and then... <clears throat> Internal rotation actually takes the foot 
out, right? Or takes the lower leg out away from the body, all right? But the, the hip in itself is still turning in towards. So you have to think about what is the joint doing in itself, not just what the foot is doing or whatnot. Anyways, <clears throat> so <clears throat> hip, we're gonna talk about external rotation first, all right? So where the foot is getting turned out, okay? Or if you are getting into a cross-legged position, so if you put your ankle over on the other leg, can't see it, but I cross my leg over like that. That is external rotation. That can be limited. All right, um, because of because of weakness. A lot of the the main main one of the main rotators is one of the gluteal muscles, the gluteus maximus. There are a lot of smaller rotators in there as well, and those ones when they're tight, tend to affect more in uh, internal rotation, right? And so most people are more restricted in that internal rotation because it's not a movement that we do a whole lot of. The only time that I can think of where we actually do that on a functional day-to-day -day basis is kind of getting in and out of a car. You might swing that leg out a little bit into that internal rotation. But anyways, getting back to that, so the external rotators can act as a function of extension. So a lot of one of the cues that I give to a lot of people when, when doing training, particularly like squats and, and lunges, is you're gonna grip with the toes a little bit, the feet with a little bit there, that engages all the muscles, creating some tension throughout the leg, but then you're also gonna try to turn out just a little bit. There's not gonna be actual movement, but it's almost like you're engaging those muscles and to, to like you're ripping a piece of paper between your feet, okay? That engages those external rotators a little bit more, and that's gonna help with extension. So lunges and squats, uh, deadlifts, those are movements that benefit a lot from from engaging a little bit of that rotation in the feet. Again, it's not a there's no movement to it. You're just feeling like you're pushing the knees out or turning the feet out. That just engages those external rotators, which creates a more tension throughout the leg, creates better stability for the legs, and engages those muscles, which means you're getting better work out of them. You're getting more strength training out of it uh, from from that movement. All right. I mentioned that those muscles can restrict external or internal rotation as well. All right. So we're going to talk about hip internal rotation. So that motion is usually what I see the most limited rotation and uh, with with golfers and is also the biggest indicator for back pain. Okay. So limited internal rotation is the biggest indicator for back pain. All right. So. That is because if that hip doesn't rotate, the back is going to compensate for it. You're telling your body, hey, I want to turn. And if I can't do it, I am, the body is going to find a way in order to get to that, what you want. The body is amazing at adapting and, and making these changes or compensations is the word I was looking for. It's going to find these compensations if you're asking it to do something, right? Doesn't matter whether it's that if that's turning or if it's just something as simple as picking up uh, something. Your body, if it can't do it the way with what it what it normally would, it's going to find another way in order to get that accomplished. And not a problem typically for us doing it a few times, but if it becomes a repetitive thing, that's when what is not designed to do that activity. So in this instance, the low back not designed to do that rotation as much. As the hip is then you're gonna start having more issues what I say a lot of times is 
the victim is the one that's going to cry out. It's not the culprit. So in this instance, the hip is the culprit, right? It's the one that is not moving like it's supposed to be. And so what is taking the brunt of the activity is the back. Okay. And so that is what, what, what is taking, trying to do that mobility because the hip's not doing its job. All right. Another way of thinking about it is if there are two people that are, are doing moving, all right, let's say it's like two guys in a, in a truck, right? They're one, both of them are working. They're moving the boxes. One guy's like, huh, I'm starting to get tired or, or I don't want to do this and kind of takes a break while the other guy does all the work. Who's going to be the one complaining about being sore or hurting the next day? It's the guy that's doing all the work, right? So two ways to kind of think about it there. The victim is the one that's going to cry out, but it doesn't mean he's the culprit. It's not necessarily mean the cause or the reason for, for what's going on. And the two moving mover guys, um, the, the one that's not doing all the work is not going to be the one that's going to be complaining about being tired and, and sore and, and hurting the next day. All right. So hip internal rotation. One of the big things that, that I find is, is a tensor fasciolata muscle that is tight. That tends to be a very limiting muscle. Okay. It does a little bit of, of different things. It's on the outside of that bony part of the hip. Okay. It, it comes in at an angle. So it does a little bit of rotation movement. It does uh, some hip flexion. Okay. So that tends to get tight along with the hip flexors. It, it acts kind of like a hip flexor, like I said. Okay. But it also does a little bit of rotation there as well. So it's one of these muscles where working that muscle a little bit, and we're going to get into that more tomorrow is going to help loosen up that internal rotation so it can move better. Okay, so it's not limited by tension in that muscle because if that muscle is so tight, it's not going to let anything turn. Okay, the last thing that movement-wise that I want to talk about is circumduction, which is basically making a circle with the hip, right? We know if we have combined movements, we can basically make a big circle with our hip just as we can with the shoulder, right? So combining flexion and abduction and external rotation we can circle around and go back to the beginning okay that is an exercise that is very good at getting better at controlling your joint and the positions that it's in is taking it to end range at all those positions so you start up going up and you start taking it out to the side and rotating the foot up out to the side you're getting better control as you're working that hip in all the different directions and there's a term for it. it's called cars or controlled articular rotations. So you're basically just taking that that joint so and controlling it throughout that circle at end range. You want to work it in end range because that is what gives you the most sensory feedback and telling your body, hey, these are the positions of this joint. And by putting it there, you're getting a better idea of how you can use your muscles in order to control the position in all or to control the joint in all those different positions. Okay. So the more feedback that you give the body or the brain in this instance, by putting it into that end range, the better the brain can sit there and go, Oh, that's what I need to do in those positions. That's what I need to use in order to be, be able to stabilize. Again, we're going to go over more of this next time uh, tomorrow as I get into more mobility when we're talking, okay, how do we prepare tissues? to, to be, to, to stretch or to work. Okay. And how do, what are some good, you know, top exercises to strengthen or to stretch these muscles? Well, actually, sorry, tomorrow's just going to be mobility. So to stretch these muscles and then we'll 
unless we have time, we'll get into strengthening, but that's probably going to be another day again. So yeah, we're just taking our time and going through all that. And we'll talk about preparing the muscles, talk about stretching those muscles and, and how we can tweak them depending on how tight we are, or maybe if, if we don't get a feel of stretch there. So, and then how we can better control it with that mobility, that car exercise. Okay, you guys, thank you guys for listening. This is all about anatomy today and biomechanics. Um, so not necessarily the sexiest topic for most of you, but hopefully glean some information here, all right, to, to better understand why we're going to be talking about what we're talking about in the next couple of days and how you can take some of this information and start using it to better combat the issues that you're having, if it's tight hip flexors, if it's weak glutes, right, and how you need to work in combination with those, something on those lines. So hopefully that's helpful for you guys. We'll get into more mobility, like I said, tomorrow. Uh, ask any questions away. Please, if you found this helpful, invite somebody in this group. Uh, we're sitting around on the 35 people in this group. I'd love to get it up to 100 so that we can get as many people in here to help them to start getting better fitness, especially during this time where we have this quarantine and what else are we are we doing with our time? We should be spending it getting ourselves ready to, to get out and play golf for those that haven't have the white, nice weather quite yet or the courses haven't opened. Um, I know in my area, a lot of the courses are still open, but they're functioning at minimum capacity um, because of all this quarantine. So anyways, great time, great opportunity for us to take care of our bodies, which is the most important piece of equipment that we have for golf because it is used in every single golf shot. The only other thing that's used in every single golf shot is the golf ball. So our body is quite important to, to what we do in golf. So let's start taking care of it. All right, you guys, take care. Hey guys, if you enjoyed this content, please give us a five star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by upping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.